0: Welcome back to the program. Hundreds of years ago, if men wanted to settle a personal matter, even a political one, they picked up swords and guns and dueled their way to resolution. We all remember everything from D'Artagnan to the gunfight at O.K. Corral. Today, there are many, some of them running for the GOP presidential nomination, that seem to long for a return to those days. And while they're hardly condoned by respectable public standards, they still percolate within the hearts of men for whom testosterone-laden violence is still deeply programmed into our DNA. My guest, Jonathan Gottschall, a mild-mannered English professor, decided that like Kurtz, he too wanted to journey into the heart of darkness to understand what makes men, our society, and our culture so prone to embracing certain kinds of violence. If the first rule of Fight Club is to not talk about Fight Club, then Jonathan Gottschall immediately breaks that rule in his new book, The Professor in the Cage. Jonathan Gottschall is a Distinguished Research Fellow in the English Department at Washington and Jefferson College. His previous books include The Storytelling Animal, and it is my pleasure to welcome Jonathan Gottschall back to this program to talk about The Professor in the Cage, Why Men Fight, and Why We Like to Watch. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Jeff, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: Great to have you here. First of all, I want to start with how you really began this journey by walking across the street from where you were teaching and and being intrigued by a mixed martial arts class.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I was uh, pushing 40 at the time. I was an adjunct English instructor, and I was kind of reaching that point where I was kind of admitting to myself that I was never going to get on the tenure track, that my career really wasn't working out. I was sort of having this midlife crisis, really. And one day I'm at my office, and I happen to look out the front window, and this new business has moved in across the street. It's a cage fighting gym. And I can see the guys. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a snowball throw away, and I can see the guys in the cage, and they're dancing, and they're hitting, and they're tackling, and they're rolling. And I was ambushed by this emotion that I did not expect at all, and the emotion was envy. I envied those young guys because they looked so alive in their cage while I was felt like I was rotting away in my office cubicle. And I had this funny thought, and it was just a sort of joke that I was, you know, telling myself. Wouldn't it be funny if I walked across the street and joined them? You know, me, I'm a, I'm 40 years old. I'm an English professor. I've never been in a fight. Uh, I'm not in good shape. And then this more sober thought occurred to me. It's like, well, you know. Maybe that could be the start of something. Maybe there could be a book in that sort of a nonfiction version of Fight Club where I go across the street, I would get in some fights, and I'd write a book about violence, and about the sort of allure of violence and the ancient role of uh, aggression in human life
0: how much of it was motivated by or really got you to think about the metaphor of boxing and all that's been written about that in a similar vein and some of the stuff that Mailer wrote and people like Pete Hamill and George Plimpton, this idea of participatory involvement in these kind of violent exercises.
1: You know, I wasn't thinking about that too much at all. When I went over there, I had sort of personal reasons for doing it. I kind of wanted to see if I was capable of doing a, a brave thing, a courageous thing. And I had sort of intellectual interests. So I, w- I wanted to ask these really, really basic and mysterious questions. Why do men fight when we all say that violence is bad and we all say we dislike it? Why do we, why do we fight and why do we like to watch? So I wasn't really thinking about what had been written in the past. You know, I was aware of George Plimpton. I was aware of Norman Mailer and Hemingway being sort of tough guys. But I wasn't aware that there was sort of a whole literature uh, on boxing.
0: And once you got into this, once you realized what was going on
1: across the street,
0: what, was there a moment that you thought, <laughs> maybe this isn't such a good idea?
1: Oh my gosh, yeah, I constantly felt that way. Uh-huh. I felt that way the whole time. You know, I ended up liking it quite a bit. I liked the sparring. I liked the friendships and the camaraderie. I liked the test of it, the challenge of it, the way that it forced me to be at my best and if you're not at your best, you get hurt um, on the other hand you know, it, I knew it was dangerous I knew I was taking punishment to my brain uh, which I which I, you know, wasn't a big fan of um, and so I constantly flirted with the idea of giving it up the idea of saying, hey, this is kind of stupid let's just not do it, write a different book um, but you know I stuck it out because partly because you know i wanted to write the book i was interested in the questions and partly because i was too ashamed not to if you find yourself in basically an honor culture and if i was to walk away from the book and to not have my fight i really would have lost face i would have lost respect inside my gym the other guys wouldn't have respected me as much maybe my friends and acquaintances wouldn't have either i would have been branded as a chicken
0: how much of understanding violence and what the appeal of violence is and and why people enjoy watching it how much of it has to do with the ritual and what role does the ritualization of violence play in making it more palatable
1: well i think that's you know that was one of the big surprises for me doing the book going into this i expected to write a book about the rise of mixed martial arts in america um this really kind of insanely brutal spectacle. And I was going to use cage fighting as this metaphor for the darkness at the center of human nature, for something really ugly at the center of human nature. But doing my library research and meeting the guys and doing my sparring sort of changed all of my attitudes. It upended all my preconceptions. And I do think that what, what you're seeing in the cage fight and uh, boxing is an extreme version of, of a, uh, it's an extreme sport, but it is a sport where the violence is ritualized. And it's part of this process whereby people have developed ways of channeling dangerous aggression down more safe and more productive pathways.
0: What role does honor play in it? I mean, you talked about being embarrassed, for example, if you were to quit, if you were to give it up. What role does yeah. honor in general play in in the in
1: the ritual, in the exercise? I think honor is the whole game. Mm-hmm. What I'm talking about is honor violence. And so the guys who go to the MMA gym, uh, 99% of them are not going to be professional fighters. 99% of them, in fact, are not going to be even amateur Competitive fighters. They're just going into the gym to train and spar. And the reason they're doing it is because these are young guys. They're at the age where physical aggression between men is most common, physical intimidation, and they want to be able to defend themselves. If someone tries to humiliate them, to provoke them, to bully them, they want to be able to stand up for themselves and not dishonor themselves. They're very much interested in uh, not being dishonored or disrespected not being humiliated, not being proven to be a chicken.
0: To what extent does the training play a role, not only in the ritual, but the training and the ability to do this impact whether or not one does it or not?
1: Okay, yeah, I think, you know, to me, that's one of those unresolved questions. Uh, If you ask martial artists this question, the most standard response you'll get is something like this. Martial arts are great because they teach men how to fight, but they also teach men to be tough and to be courageous, and if they prove to themselves that they're tough and courageous within the gym, they won't need to prove it in the outside world. That's the theory. And I think there's something to that theory. However, these are young men, and if they go out into the world and they feel a lot more confident in their ability to defend themselves, I could see it going the other way too. Uh, because you know, if, uh, I could see them being more likely to fight because they have a sense of competence about their ability to defend themselves.
0: What did you discover about what is it that that
1: motivates men to fight?
0: What what is it that's at the core of that?
1: Well, when it comes to uh combat sports like mixed martial arts, you know again i I went into this with all the stereotypes in my head. Mm-hmm. I figured these guys you know i'd watched i 'd watched it for a long time, and I was always thinking to myself, what kind of savage maniac would want to do this? These guys must have a screw loose. I figured they must be bullies. I figured they must maybe were even sadists that liked uh, causing pain to other people. But I didn't find this at all. I found ordinary uh, young men for the most part, some women, but overwhelmingly uh, young men who do it not because they're sadists, not because they're dying to hurt people, not because they dream and fantasize about doing damage, but because you know they, they were driven into it largely for the same reasons I was. They wanted to know if they're tough. They want to know if they have courage. They want to know if they're, if they're strong. They want to take this fundamental test. They want to have a little bit of a quest. And mixed martial arts gives it to them. So it's not about going into the cage in order to violently beat up the other guy. Really what you're going into the cage to do is to try to defeat your own weakness, your own timidity, and your own fear.
0: How much does the individual perception of masculinity and our public perception of it play a role in this?
1: I don't know. So so masculinity, you know, if you look around the world, uh, masculinity doesn't vary very much from culture to culture. There's clearly a cultural component to it, but there seems to be a biology to it as well. All around the world, masculinity is associated, it's very simple, with strength, with toughness, with courage uh, of body and, uh, and of mind. So, uh, you know, there's a cultural element to this, but I think the narrative that men behave in masculine ways just because they've been trained to behave in masculine ways, I don't think that narrative holds up very well. Just look at other animals. You know, look at, you know, the stallion is different from the mare. The cow is different from the bull. The female monkey or gorilla or chimpanzee differs from the male version. And they differ not just in their bodies, but in their behaviors. And really, why should it be completely different from us? And it's it's not completely different. So not everything about gender or everything about masculinity or femininity is determined by biology. That's clearly not true. But there is a biological component to it.
0: There's also the sense that the way we've grown up as a culture and the way we view violence and the way violence has become an end in itself with respect to even entertainment that that really adds to the perception of this both the individual perception and the public perception
1: so yeah you know i thought about this a, a great deal i've been thinking about it for 15 or 20 years because i've been watching fights on tv and the whole time i'm watching it i'm thinking to myself you know i'm an educated civilized peace-loving human being uh and yet i'm still watching these guys beat each other bloody you know what's wrong with me but then again the question becomes what's wrong with all of us because even those of us who wouldn't be caught dead cheering cage side or ringside almost every single one of us every person in your audience still consumes a vast and rich diet of entertainment violence. Everything from gore-spattered novels to violent TV and films and video games and even classic literature. If you read Shakespeare, if you read Tolstoy, if you read Homer, all that stuff is blood-soaked. So there's this weird thing going on where... Almost all of us feel like we're good people, and therefore we despise violence. We hate it. It makes us sick. And we say this even as we consume this huge diet of entertainment and violence. And so I think that, you know, we sort of need to face something. It's that there's a creature in us that likes violence, at least in certain circumstances, and maybe likes it more than we like just about anything else, because violence is more than even sex the great staple of our entertainment economies.
0: It also, you, you bring up sex, there is this sexual selection element, you know, in a very Darwinian way that's also part of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, this is pretty clear, actually, scientifically. So if you move around the world, you'll notice all these differences between men and women, and you'll see uh, physical differences, and you'll see behavioral differences, and you'll ask yourself quite naturally, where do these things come from? And part of the answer is obviously culture, but part of the answer is biology, And we actually understand where it's coming from. It's coming from sexual selection. So it comes down to something very solid and very simple. It's that throughout the history of the species, and this is a genetic fact, this is not a theory, throughout the history of the species, females have always had an easier time reproducing than males. Genetic studies show that while most women in species history successfully reproduced, most men did not. Now, how could that be possible? It's because some guys were always hogging up more than their fair share (laughs) of the women, leaving other guys celibate. So what this means, again, this is a genetic fact. It is not a theory. It means that the evolutionary contest for reproduction has always been significantly more fierce for men than for women. And men have been shaped by the ferocity of this contest. This is why men are bigger than women. This is why men are stronger than women. It's why men are faster than women. And it's also affected our behaviors and our psychologies. It's why men are more aggressive than women. It's why men everywhere in the world are much more prone to taking idiotic risks. And it's why men are vastly more likely to resort to physical forms of violence than women are.
0: And to what extent did you have a sense of that, that that was some underlying, if unspoken, theme inside these mma gyms and classes
1: um i don't know that's a good question i i had a very strong sense of it i mean you go into an mma gym and it's a pretty primal place you know it's not the jungle because there's rules and there's friendships and the violence is actually pretty comradely you know it's uh it's it's violence that happens in a spirit of mutual respect and admiration but still it is uh it's kind of it's kind of a jungle you know it's kind of primal and uh you're aware of certain things so like there's you know, there's ways, like animals, like if they don't want to fight each other, will make submission displays. You know, the little animal will say to the big animal, hey, you know, I recognize that you're the alpha male. I don't, uh, I'm not going to mess with you, and that's why I am cowering in front of you. Uh, and the same sort of things will happen inside the gym. So, for instance, for the first time I had to square off with this uh, heavyweight named Clark Young, um, I'm like, I don't want Clark to kill me. He's going to kill me. He's a huge guy, and he's really good. And so in, right before the bell, I walked up to him, and I buried my head in his muscular cleavage, and I said to him, Clark, come on, man. I got a family. And I was just telling to him, please don't kill me. I acknowledge uh, that you would win the fight uh, if we fought for real. And as, And since I did that, since I basically submitted at the start, you know, he didn't exactly take it easy on me, but he did let me live. How much de-
0: physical damage is often done in these cage fights?
1: There's no denying that cage fighting is really, really bad for you physically. Um, it's, uh, it's hard on the body. I've described it as one-on-one tackle football with the addition of kicking and kneeing and punching. It's, 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 a, it's a violent sport. It's bad for your body, and it's undoubtedly bad for your brain. Um, so there's no getting around that. And now the question is whether there's counterbalancing benefits, And the guys who do this do it not in ignorance of the risks, but largely because of the risks. They do it because they want to have this hard thing to do. They want to have, in William James's terms, the steeps of life. They want to have something, you know, an, an everest to climb. They want to have a quest to go on.
0: Aren't there other safer ways to do that that are equally challenging? Equally
1: challenging, yes. But here's what they want. Here, here's the big difference. The big difference is fear. So you know, running a marathon is really hard. Running a mar- ultra marathon is maybe harder than being in a cage fight. Maybe more, maybe more challenging. But it's not scary in the same way. Uh, one of the things about cage fighting that's you know, it's it's terrifying. And that goes not only for newbies, uh, English professors like me, but for the best fighters in the world. The best fighters in the world will cop to how frightening it is to fight. So fighting is one of the few things that allows you to face and confront and try to overcome what can only be described as primal fear, as being locked up in a cage, half naked, with some trained killer, And the only way to get out of the cage is to fight your way out.
0: How much of it for those that are the train killers and for people like you, how much of it is about defeating or winning the the proverbial duel with the other person? And how much of it is about just proving to yourself that you can get through this?
1: I think, you know, so there's a distinction to be made. Most people know mixed martial arts only through the martial arts superheroes they see on TV, the professional athletes who are doing it for fame and fortune, and they very much uh, want and need to win in order to make a living. Ninety-nine percent of guys who do mixed martial arts are not pros or even aspiring pros. They do it without any hope of ever making a dime. For those guys in particular, sure, they want to win. I even wanted to win. But the main thing is about just going through the ordeal. It's a way, especially kind of for young men, to give themselves a sort of brutal rite of passage into manhood, a way to figure out if they have... You know, for lack of a better word, something, you know, whether they're real men, uh, whether they have courage, whether they have strength, whether they have stamina. The world is so, has gotten so soft and so safe in so many ways that it's harder and harder for young men to explore those things and see if they have these, these uh, traditional capacities of masculinity.
0: It's interesting that the world has gotten safer in some respects in in the ways that you're talking about, but it's still a a profoundly dangerous place precisely because of some of these attitudes and some of these approaches that, that you're talking about that you see inside the cage.
1: No question. No question. So we talked a little bit about dueling. um, And the duel is dead in the sense of a formal aristocratic duel where two guys get up in the morning and meet with sabers at dawn or whatever. That kind of behavior is dead. But the whole psychology of male honor. The psychology that led men to think it was worthwhile to risk their lives over really silly small stuff like insults and gossip, that is absolutely still with us. And so today, when men get in fights and when men, even when they commit homicide, the most common reason for it. Is because they've had one of these little disputes over honor. Someone feels disrespected. Someone feels insulted. It escalates to an argument, then it escalates to a fistfight. And before you know it, someone is lying on the pavement. Those sorts of things are inspired by this uh, this uh, psychology of honor. And it's important that we understand that this is not just a cultural thing. That it is written into the DNA. And it's important that we understand that because we'd like to change it. We'd like to mitigate mitigate some of men's worst tendencies. We'd like to set up conditions that make this sort of behavior less likely. And we can't do it if we won't honestly face where these sorts of behaviors are coming from.
0: But does this kind of behavior and what goes on in these cage fighting situations, does that in fact have the opposite effect? Is it reinforcing
1: the worst that is in men? Well, you know, I, I, I would have thought so going in. I really would have. I tell you, going into this, I really had. I watched cage fighting on TV, but I never felt good about it. I never really approved of it. I thought I was sort of giving in to something dark and nasty inside myself. Um, But, you know, after doing it for a long time, I just didn't see any evidence for this. The, the guys at my gym, they're not violent guys. They're not getting in fights in the outside world. I don't think there's a message being sent that violence is the solution to all of your problems. What I think is really happening is in sports like this, it's, it's, it's there's something wholesome about it. It's a way for people to find out if they're tough to get into a fight, but to do so in the safest way possible, in a way that challenges, I mean, channels aggression down safer modes of expression.
0: Jonathan Gottschall, the book is The Professor in the Cage, Why Men Fight and Why We Like to Watch. Jonathan, I thank you so much for spending time with us.
1: Jeff, I had great fun. Thank you for talking with me.
0: Thank you. We'll take a break.
1: I'll be right back.